0: Now let's turn in our Bibles to Colossians chapter 3 and we're going to read verses 1 through to 10. Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through to 10. Let's hear the word of God, reading of course as we've said often. The authorized version, a most faithful and reliable translation of the Holy Scriptures. Colossians 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. For Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things, things sake, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him, that created him. Now this morning we are returning to our series of expository sermons in the book of Colossians. And today my text is taken from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It reads as follows, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, for Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections and things above not on things on the earth. Now, I've entitled this sermon, Is Your Heart Set on Heavenly Things? To understand our text, we must view it in the context. In the previous verses, the Apostle Paul has been exposing the false teachers at Colossae and those that follow them. And he exposed the false teachers at Colossae of not honoring the head of the church, which is Christ, and therefore not helping the body of Christ, namely the people of God. And this was because of their rules-based lifestyle. Remember their uh, motivation to asceticism, which Paul says has no value or benefit to a real true life of biblical holiness. And now he adds, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above for Christ sitteth in the right hand of God. Set your affections and things above, not on things on the earth. You see, the if here, if ye then be risen, is not to imply uncertainty. It's not to imply doubt. But it's to get us to think of something that is true Uh, something that is a glorious reality. We we could read it literally, since then ye have been risen with Christ. Now, now it's, it's written in this way. Paul uses this Greek word, if, for this purpose, because he wants us to ponder the implications of what he's saying. You see, being united to Christ in his life and death and resurrection and ascension is not a mere matter of feeling, but a matter of fact. Every true believer must live then in conformity to the fact that he or she is risen with Christ. And once you grasp that sense of belonging that sense of belonging will impact upon your behavior in the home. As a wife and a mother, a father. Impact on your school. Impact on your attitude to university. Impact on your attitude to the workplace. You see, the Apostle Paul wants us to search our souls. And want us to think about these things. Hence, I ask the question, is your heart set on heavenly things? Remember the Lord Jesus exhorted his disciples to lay up treasure in heaven. Where he said, neither moth nor rust doth corrupt where thieves do not break in and steal. Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 to 21. And then he added this. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So I ask today this question, young and old alike. Where is your heart spiritually? Because where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. So, so what occupies your time? How do you use your resources? What do you love the most? How do you spend your money? How do you spend your energy? You see, all of these things are very, very important. Because it ties into what we have actually set our heart on. And the Apostle Paul's argument is very logical and yet very sublime. If you're risen with Christ, then set your affections on things above where Christ sitteth, not on things on the earth. Now, I want you to think of four things here, because there is, first of all, a wonderful prospectus here. You see, there's a profound truth being taught In Colossians 3, verse 1 and 2, there's a most glorious prospectus to think about, a most glorious principle to take on board. If ye be risen with Christ, what does he say? Seek those things which are above. You see, when the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world, all the covenant people that God had given to him in the covenant of redemption in eternity past, a great multitude that no man could number, John says. They were in him. When Christ came into the world, we were in him. When Christ lived a sinless life, we were living in him. When Christ died in the tree, we, we died in him. When Christ was buried, we were buried with him. When Christ arose from the dead, we were risen in him. When Christ ascended to the Father's right hand, we ascended in him. When when Christ is seated at the right hand of God, we were seated in him. You see, here's a great prospectus. Here's a great objective truth that's often forgotten, neglected. But if we have received Christ by faith alone as Lord and Redeemer, if we're born again of the Holy Spirit, then we're also found... In a saving union with Christ. You're in Christ. If. (coughs) And we should examine our heart and life. If ye then be risen with Christ. So you've got to think about this. Am I in Christ? If this is a concrete reality in your life. And you testify that you're in him. Then this is true of you. Remember, God's salvation is not a matter of human decisions or a mere willpower. True salvation is God's almighty power imparting life to us when we were dead in trespasses and sins. See, true salvation is not about following man-made rules, not about living a kind of monastic life. It's not even choosing to live an ascetic kind of life. It's not about a, a resolution to kick a bad habit like smoking or something like that, or, or, or not a resolution to clean up your life and get a haircut and put a new suit on. No, it's all about the life-giving power of God. One of the old Puritans, Henry uh, Scougal, put it like this, it's the life of God in the soul of man. And it means you realize and recognize that you are so united to Jesus Christ, that you're savingly joined to him, that he is your life. Isn't that what Paul says in Colossians 3 and 4, when Christ who is our life? You see, you and I are in total dependence upon the supernatural power of Christ. The Christian life is lived not in human strength, not in human wisdom, not in human willpower, with a little help from God. No, it's living in union with the risen Christ. And the question of question is this, have you been quickened by the Spirit to newness of life? Is the life of God in your soul? And if so, then when Christ died in the cross, you died in him. When Christ was resurrected, you were resurrected in him. When Christ ascended, you ascended in him. When Christ is seated at the right hand of God, you are seated in him. And all that's true of Christ is now true of us. Why? Because we're in him. If I think of the the Bible this morning, and I put a piece of paper, say, into the Bible, where's the piece of paper? It's in the Bible. Now, wherever the Bible is, the piece of paper is. And whatever happens to the Bible happens to the piece of paper. So if I've got the Bible at home, where's the paper? It's in the Bible at home. If I drop the Bible, where's the paper? It's still in the Bible. If I put it on the shelf, if I carry it in my hand, you see, here's the thought. Each and every true born again believer in Christ is totally In union with him, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And those treasures are ours in Christ. In Christ we have the riches of God's grace and kindness and love. In Christ we have been made complete. In Christ we have everything we need for a life of holiness, for a life of godliness. And what the Apostle Paul states here is sort of kind of mind-boggling. But of course, he's referring back to what he says in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12 buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are raised with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Now, if you know and enjoy the benefits of the saving work of Christ in your soul, and you know not only that you're with Christ and he's your Lord and Savior, but you're in Christ, then wherever Christ is, you're also in him. And here's what Paul is saying. Now, if that is true, and you're conscious of that, you're thinking of that, then make sure you seek. That means keep on seeking those things that are above. Notice the two commands here in the text. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Verse 2, set your affections in things above, not in things on the earth. They're they're what we call present imperatives in the Greek. In other words, they're continual commands. These two commands are, seek those things which are above. Set your affections in things above. It suggests a, a continuous process. This is the consequence of considering... The fact that you're in Christ, that you're found in Christ. And if you're in Christ, then you're to keep on seeking those things above. That means to make the truth of Christ, the life of Christ, the cause of Christ, everything to do with Christ and his person and work as revealed in the word of God. You make those things a number one priority in your life. You make those things your constant pursuit That's your focus. That's your aim. You see, the true Christian, they should be focused on being devoted to pursuing the things of God in Christ. It doesn't mean we drop out of life. It doesn't mean that we shut ourselves off from the world. It doesn't mean you become a monk or you become a nun. See, the Lord Jesus expects us to live and work in this world, raise a family. Keep down a job, eat food, enjoy leisure and rest. But as we live our life as a husband, a wife, a a, a mother, a father, a a young person, a a worker, or or live life as an employer, we must seek first the kingdom of God. We must live life then from God's perspective. In other words, we live a separate holy life unto God because that life is in Christ. And in Christ, we're dead to sin. In Christ, we're alive to God. And we keep on thinking about Christ because he is our life. And as our life, we, we remind ourselves that he lives in us by his spirit. He, he works in us. He, he works through us. That takes us back to, to this glorious, wonderful Perspectus. There's another thing here in the text, not only a most wonderful prospectus, but there's a most wonderful place. Notice the words in the text seek those things which are above. Then in verse 2, set your affections on things above. The word above is used twice. I believe it's a reference to heaven. Remember when the Lord Jesus said, Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. In John chapter 3 and 3, he talked about being born from above. In other words, being born of God. Born again is when the life of God is placed in the soul. And you discover when you're born again that there's an above. And that above place is called heaven. So when you enjoy a true conversion experience and of a new nature and become a new creature in Christ... You're now one with Christ and you discover I'm a person of two places. There's a below, that's the earth where I live. But there's also an above, that's heaven. Below refers to this world, young people. Above refers to heaven where Christ is. And the true Christian is filled with a sense of belonging to heaven. To another world. A heavenly world. Because heaven is the place where we're going to to be with Christ. And here's the best place of all. Here's the greatest place in the whole of the world. A heavenly city whose builder and maker is God, Abraham. Are you conscious of it? Are you craving for heaven? Are you controlled by heaven? Have you got heaven in your heart and mind? Remember, in Christ, you're going to live forever in heaven. This is not the stuff of myths or legends. This is not pie in the sky. This is not a kind of a ruse. This is a powerful reality. This is something that's real. This is a truth that you can know assuredly. As the people of God, we are to seek heaven. Heaven's a place of many mansions. Heaven, remember, is a place where God dwells. A place of eternal bliss. A place where you're safe from the wrath of God. A place where you're free from the cares and sorrows of this life. A place where Christ is. And you know what the Bible exhorts you to do if you're out of Christ? It exhorts you to strive to enter in. Remember what Luke chapter 13 verse 23 says. Listen to these words. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. The word strive means wrestle. It it means agonize. It means put up a fight. Here's your responsibility. Here's your duty. If you're not saved, if you're not found in Christ, then you have got to strive to enter in. And as you enter into Christ, then you will seek those things that are above. You will set your mind in those things. That will be the constant pursuit of your lifestyle. There will be a constant pursuit of those things that are above. That involves your heart. That involves your mind. That that involves your thinking. That involves your living. That involves your behaving. You see, the, the, the thought in the Greek means... Have your whole attitude characterized by these things. That's your duty, your responsibility. You've got to make repeated choices. You've got to focus your thoughts, not on the flesh, not in this world, not in the sinful lifestyle, not in material things, but in, in the things that are above. Your whole outlook is to be determined by them. As you think in the things of Christ, do you ponder that you're a citizen of heaven? Do you ponder that your home is in heaven? What about the happiness of heaven? What about your heart being in heaven? What about the holiness of heaven? See, heaven's the Father's house. Heaven, of course, is a place of eternal happiness. You You think of the richest men in this world. You know, if you Google the richest men in the world, you'll you'll get some answers. John D. Rockefeller, he left when he died $200 billion. A a man by the name of Andrew Carnegie, he left $110 billion. Another man called Connor Vandervault, he left $100 billion when he died. John Jacob Ascot, He left $85 billion when he died. Do you know that Bill Gates, he's not dead yet, he has got $60 billion of personal worth. But you know these men that died, they didn't take it with them. They died and left it all. And I ask this question, were they rich toward God? Because if they hadn't got Christ, then while they're rich in this world's goods, they're not rich toward God. And they knew nothing of the home in heaven, the happiness of heaven. Their heart wasn't in heaven. They knew nothing of the holiness in heaven. What about you? You see, how you think about yourself determines how you act. You are what you think. Your thoughts determine your life, your emotions, your behaviour. And the Apostle Paul is stressing here we have a duty and responsibility to be constantly focused on our thoughts, on things above. We're to think of heaven. We're to think of the fact that I'm a citizen of heaven because I'm in Christ. And that's the key to a happy holy life. In the risen Christ, I'm dead to sin. I'm alive to God. I'm separated from this present evil world. And let that shape your thinking. And let that govern how you live A most wonderful place Very quickly A most wonderful person <coughs> If you read verses 1-4 to 4 Of Colossians chapter 3 You'll discover that Christ Is mentioned four times Let's read it together If you be risen with Christ There's one Seek those things which are above For Christ sitteth in the right hand of God There's two Let's come to verse three, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. There's the third reference. And then in verse four, where Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. There's four references to the word Christ. Four in the Bible is the number of completion. Biblical numerics by Bullinger. Where is Christ now? He's in heaven. But he's not only in heaven, he's in a specific place in heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God. Now I want you to think of Christ there. Think of Christ's presence filling heaven. And you enter heaven and be overcome with the presence of Christ. Think of Christ's power in heaven. Over there in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 20 and 21 we read this which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come and have put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. The greatest power in the world is Christ's power in heaven. The psalm said in Psalm 110 verse 1, The Lord has said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Not only think of Christ's presence and Christ's power, but think of Christ's pardon over there in the book of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, we read, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. You see, Christ, by his sacrificial death, by his bloodshedding in Calvary, obtained a complete pardon of all our sins for all who would trust him as Lord and Savior. Do you know anything of that? Wonderful knowledge of sins forgiven, of sins of thought, and were indeed secret sins, presumptuous sins, personal sins, chief sins, all under the blood. What sins are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. And what about Christ's prayers? Over there again in the book of Hebrews, we read in Hebrews chapter 7 and in the verse um, uh, 25, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. And where's he making that intercession from? Well, if you link it up with the um, words in Romans it says, who is he that condemneth It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Romans chapter 8 and verse 34. Now, you get the picture. Here's Christ. He's in heaven. Where is he? He's seated at the right hand of God. And you've got to think of his sovereign presence there. You've got to think of his... Sufficient power there. You've got to think of his sufficient pardon. You've got to think of his sympathetic prayers. All sins are forgiven. The enemy has no basis to accuse us because we're accepted in Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you're discouraged. You've lost hope. You're feeling fed up and down in the dumps. Isn't it encouraging to know when someone comes along and says, I'm praying for you, brother or sister? Does not give you encouragement? When you think of somebody who prays for you continually, somebody who prays for you daily, and as you wrestle with discouragement this morning, I want you to remember you're in Christ, and you share in his death, his resurrection, his ascension. You share in the fact that you're seated with him at God's right hand. And at God's right hand, you've got a sovereign presence in Christ. And at God's right hand, you've got a a great um, sufficient power, a supreme power. You've got a sufficient pardon. You've got a sympathetic prayer warrior. You see, Christ's work is complete for us. It's done. Remember in the Old Testament times, the priest never got to sit down for there was no chairs in the tabernacle. But the work is done. It's finished. But this man, after he would offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Why is Christ seated at the right hand of God? Because his work for us is done. The work of securing redemption is complete. And Christ's work silences our accuser. We have an accuser, the devil. And he accuses us before God that we're not saved and accuses us about our sins and accuses us about our lifestyle. But remember John, the apostle, talked about in 1 John um, chapter 2, verse 1, he said, um, My little children, these things I write unto you, that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. You see, the devil accuses us, but the Lord Jesus, he speaks on our behalf and says, Father, that child belongs to me. Father, I'll answer the accusation. Father, I'm his or her righteousness. So you think of him this morning. Take him into your mind. This sovereign presence in heaven. The one who has great supreme power. All power belongs to him. The one who has sufficient pardon. The one who offers sympathetic prayer. And he has finished the work on your behalf. He silences the devil. He is one with us. We are one with him. And he has grace to sustain you. He can help in the hour of need. He can say, I know how it feels. I know what you need. Trust me. You see, there's a wonderful person here. And we'll finish with this thought this morning. There's a most wonderful prospect. If you go back to our text, what does it tell us? It tells us this, verse 2. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. You see, so easily and so readily we're earthbound creatures. So easy we give in to the allure and the pull and the engrossment of the world and the things of the world. They invade our hearts and they invade our minds and they commend these earthbound things to take them over. And Paul's saying, don't let them take over. Push them out. High by remembering the best things, the greater things. Remember God's you your risen with Christ. Remember this best place called heaven. Remember this best person ever called the Lord Jesus. Remember this wonderful prospectus. Set your affections on things above. Things above in contrast to to things in the earth. Don't let them push out the best or the greater things. Let the greater things push out the lesser things, the material things. Fill your mind with spiritual truth, with, with heavenly things. Let a specific place, a specific principle, the holiness and happiness, the God of heaven control your heart and mind. Let me ask this as we finish this morning. If you have set your affections and things above, thinking of heavenly things, this will impact on your attitude to the Lord's Day. And you'll want to be in the house of God in the Lord's Day. I, I remember a young man down in Tandragee, and he sat in church every Sunday, and he hated being there. He didn't want to be there. He resented it. He, 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 he told his mother and father, I, I hate going to church. Imagine saying that. But why did that young man say that? Why did he think like that? Because here's the answer. Because his heart was not right with God. He hadn't got a new heart. And then when he was 16 years of age, one day sitting listening to the preaching of the word of God, he was born again of the Spirit. And all of a sudden, his dying man noticed an attitude. And he was up and he was dressed. He had a suit on. And he was out in the house of God. And all of a sudden, he had a love for the house of God. He wanted to be there. What had happened? He'd got a new heart. And because he was now in Christ and and focused on on heavenly things, his attitude to the Lord's day was changed. What about your attitude to the Bible? The psalmist said, oh, how I love thy law. And and we must um, look upon the Bible as our spiritual food, that God is speaking his truth to us. And if you're in Christ, then you'll have a love for the Scriptures. If you love the Savior, you'll love the Scriptures, because the Savior loved the Scriptures. Remember, he says... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You'll love also being in the prayer meeting. You'll want to come to the prayer meeting. You'll hate it when circumstances force you to miss or when you're in ill health and can't be there or you're away on holiday. Cause why? Because you love being in the presence of God. You love being before the Lord. You're thinking of him. And and also this will have an attitude upon You as a soul winner. You'll want to to win others to Christ. You'll want to introduce them to him. The love of your life. And you'll have a a faithful relationship to the non-Christian. Your mindset will be, I live to win them. Because the Bible tells us that the the, the, um, soul winner is a very wise person. Do we love the souls of men? enough to speak to them about Christ? What about, what's our attitude to the cause of Christ? Are we seeking and loving the things of God first and foremost? What's our attitude to life at home? Whether as a wife or a mother or a husband, a parent. You see, it impacts upon life and home among the family in the nitty gritty of life, of, of looking after children and washing dishes and cleaning the house and, and doing so many other things. Same in school. Same in the workplace. You'll seek to be honest and you'll seek to do what's right as a worker. And it it applies also to employers. We're going to hear next week. I've come across some individuals that profess to be Christians. I'll not name any names, but it's coming up to Christmas, and you think of a man that's rearing turkeys. And he puts things inside the turkeys to make them weigh a wee bit heavier. So when you come to pay, oh, it's so many pounds over than the real weight and he's put something inside. Well, that's not right. That, that can't be good. That, that's, that's a bad testimony. You take someone else, and they maybe have got a big lorry, and they're bringing you, say, 20 tonne of stones, but they only put 18 tonne of stones in the lorry, or 19. Well, well, well that can't be Right? A man is a Christian testimony like that. That's not good for his workers. That's not good for his own soul. These, these things are wrong. Let me tell you something else. And this happened. Because I watched it. A merchant man who was a, a fruit seller. He wasn't from this part of the country. Way down North Antrim Coast. And when he was weighing potatoes. Half hundred weights. He used to weigh them to the weigh bridge just tipped. And then he put his hands in and he lifted out three or four and he put them in a little basket and he did that for every bag. Well, were you getting a half hundred weight potatoes? No, you were getting slightly under that. You didn't notice that he took out three or four, but the Lord saw. Because just weights are something that God thinks about. God cares about. but, But the point is this, it's all to do with the attitude. It's living in light of heavenly things. And if you're in Christ, then you'll not behave in that way because you'll recognize that's sinful and wrong. I'm, I'm stealing, I'm cheating. But the Lord is watching me and I'll give an account to the Lord. You see, it impacts upon our behavior, our thinking, our lifestyle. Is your heart set on heavenly things? If you fill your heart with God's perspective? I'm in Christ. Ask yourself, are you in him? If you fill your heart and mind with this best place that you can imagine in the whole of the world, heaven itself, and I'm bound there, and you fill your heart and mind with this best person, Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and I'm in him. And you fill your mind with this perspective you live in light of things that are above. Then you'll hate sin, you'll love righteousness, and you'll seek to bring honor and glory to Christ, even in the nitty-gritty of life. The Lord bless you this morning. Thank you for listening, and we pray the Lord will use his word for us.